Father, we, we stand before you, God, even as we think about the words that we just sang, as we focus on everything that we have proclaimed here today, knowing that you uh, are alive, that your Son, who paid the price for our wage, the wages of our sin, who paid the price for our flaws, our problems, our faults, he has redeemed us, he has made us righteous, and we stand in your presence, bearing the image of your Son. And we thank you for the fact that Jesus' death was the perfect payment for our sins. That he bought us, he purchased us, he redeemed us. And that we can stand in your presence and we can approach you, our righteous God, because of that. And we thank you for that. Father, I know today that there are those who come in here bearing burdens and weights Maybe they're carrying the weight of their sin. Maybe their struggles. Maybe they even think that their, their past is so far or so bad that there is nothing that they can do. But God, we know that you can redeem everything that is broken, everything that has been a problem, and you can make it right. And I pray, God, that as we look at this truth in your word today, God, that you would restore marriages, that you would, uh, God, even in the midst of those, maybe there are broken marriages, maybe there are those who aren't married, but they plan on being married sometime in the future, God, that we would evaluate those relationships based upon your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing? Good. Are you awake? You should be after those songs. Good night. If you're dead, I don't know. Or I mean, if you're asleep, you're dead. That's all I can say. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and I'm going to let you know that I, in the past I have preached from this section of Scripture. Um, I've even taught a little bit about what we've talked about, but I want you to think about your relationships and how they play a role in everything that you do. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to actually be in verses 21 and following, but I want you to see what verse 1 says in clarifying what happens. Verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. And live a life of what? Love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I want you to think about that as we go into this. We started a new sermon series last week called Fixer Upper. For those of you who weren't here last week, we kind of stole the idea from the Fixer Upper TV show. If you're into HGTV, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not into HGTV, don't worry about it. All right? Fixer Upper is a show on HGTV where they go into a neighborhood uh, and they buy usually a, a house that is run down, it is decrepit, it needs a lot of work, and they go in and they buy the house for really cheap uh, for this couple who is looking at buying the house, and then they fix it up, hence the term Fixer Upper. And I want you to think about that because a lot of times in, in our idea of relationships, uh, we kind of look at it as a Fixer Upper to a certain extent. Now, here's the clarification for today. A lot of times we enter relationships with the mentality that, well, that person is a fixer-upper and I need to fix them while I'm the turnkey. I'm the ready to go, ready to be moved in. Everything's up to date. Everything's sweet. Everything's pimped out. Everything's gorgeous. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, you're the one with no flaws and that person's the one with what? All the flaws. All right? Now, let me clarify that because what we have to understand is this. We have to stop trying to fix the other person. Too many people enter into a relationship going, well, I can fix them. They're the problem. 
They're the flaw. And what I've learned over time, and one of the things that I learned right after we got married, really, is this. Every little minor problem when you're dating becomes a what? A major problem when you're married. Why? Because you can't get away from it. Like, maybe you're the husband who always puts the toilet paper on the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, whatever way it goes for you. I mean, you know, or maybe you're the husband that leaves your lid up. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's like the unwritten, right? They don't, do not do that, you know? <laughs> but, but, but whatever it is, there are those things, there are those problems, and a lot of times we'll enter into a relationship and we think that I've got to be able to be the one who's going to fix that person up. And what you have to understand is that when you're entering into a marriage relationship, that person is not a fixer-up, fixer-upper for you to fix. That person is a fixer-upper that, God, that is God's role to fix them. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21. And the reason why I'm starting in verse 21 is if you have a Bible, a lot of times you'll see right there, maybe you've got a subheading that says wives and husbands, verse 22. And everybody loves to go to those verses, like to tell a wife what she's supposed to do and tell a husband what he's supposed to do. But everybody forgets verse 21. And so verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of what? Reverence for who? For Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But then he jumps in and he says this, because here, here's the big kicker. And I've talked about this in the past. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Especially in today's culture, when the Christian idea of submission of a woman comes up, most people balk at the idea because I believe that there's this false idea that submission is... You do what I say when I say it. You're my slave. When that's not the biblical role at all. All right? Submission from the wife stems out of reverence for Christ. But listen to verse 21 again, husbands, because you're not off the hook. Or future husbands or future wives. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before I call my wife to submit, which is obviously a bad term in today's culture, who should I submit to first? I submit to Christ first, but then I submit to who else second? My wife. Uh Uh-oh. Ouch. Wait a second. Did he just say I have to submit to my wife? Yeah. Yes. I'm afraid in today's culture there are too many men who are like, wife, submit. You know, we jokingly say this, and I've told you this in the past. Uh, my wife and I joke around, and every now and then when she, like, tells me to do something or, or I'm kind of, like, getting orders from her, I will turn to her with a funny face, and it's a completely joke, so don't, like, crucify me over this, all right? And I'll say, wife, submit. Know your role. And she'll look at me and she'll go, whatever, and she'll just roll her eyes and walk off, <laughs> which is a, about the typical response from my wife on some of those things. But I want you to understand that submission is a submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we mutually submit, husband submitting to wife, wife submitting husband, out of reverence for Christ in respect to who Christ is and what he's done in a worshipful attitude. I hope you get that. Submission within marriage or submission within any relationship is a response of worship to Christ first and foremost in that relationship. 
So when I submit to my wife, I am literally, in submitting to my wife, I am worshiping Christ. I am acknowledging and reverencing Christ and what he's done in my life. And so we start with that mutual submission to one another, and then we jump into the roles that the Bible lays out. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, all right? Not as to the slave owner. I don't see anywhere in that scripture it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the slave owner. As to the one who owns you, you're his property, and he tells you what to do. That's not what it's saying at all. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. There's a mutual submission there. There's a desire to submit to the husband because he loves you first and foremost. And husbands, that should be the role that you now fill. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, listen to this, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So the church reflects this body, this idea that the church always submits to the leadership of Christ in that relationship and the wife should submit to the leadership of the husband in the relationship out of reverence for Christ. But listen, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her a holy to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Do you get that idea? A radiant church. It's the idea that I get to show off this radiant church. Jesus shows off his bride. He brags her up. He talks about her. He loves on her. He encourages her. He, he, he speaks words of encouragement about her. He doesn't degrade her in front of other people. He doesn't cut her down. He's, he's showing her off as a radiant church. Husbands, you're to do that to your wife. To not degrade her and talk down to her. To not talk to her as a slave, but as someone who's equal with you somebody who's on the same page out of reverence for Christ, your reaction and response to your mate, your future mate, your spouse is literally a reflection of worship in the life of, of you, of what's going on, what, what happens. So the truth of the matter, listen, is this. Every person has problems and flaws, right? Every person I've ran into has problems and flaws, at least. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I haven't ran into you yet. I don't know, all right? But... Every person is a fixer-upper, and it's not your job to do the fixing. And what happens oftentimes is this. We enter into relationships with the idea that I can fix them, and the problem is when you can't fix them, many people quit. They're like, well, I just fell out of love. No, you weren't in love in the first place. You forced something. Or maybe your idea of love is love is built upon emotions and looks, when according to the Bible, the love that the Bible describes is an unconditional love. You know, we all love stories. As a matter of fact, I've seen some of them on Facebook. There's, there's a story of a young couple uh, that was brought together. They got married. He was off to war, lost both arms, both legs. And it's a beautiful, I mean, it's a cool video. This, this video was done. You may have seen on, I don't even remember it. I wish I had it out to show it even to you. But he has no arms, no legs. They got married right before he went off. And when he was in the hospital, there's a point where he's like, I know you're probably going to leave me. She's like, why would I leave you? I made the commitment that I would be with you to the end. And the whole video is just this great story. And it shows how she helps him. How, like she's giving him piggybacks. And I mean, that you could just see the joy and the excitement in their marriage, even in the midst of all the difficulty and struggles. 
And so I want to challenge you today is this, that you don't look at your husband or your wife as the fixer-upper, but you look at yourself as the fixer-upper. And you start to begin to say, God, what do you want to fix in my life so that I can be the better husband, that I can be a better wife, so that I can be a better parent, so that I can be the one who's prepared to be a better wife or a better husband? Because the truth of the matter is, the world is in desperate need of people who are going to live a Christ-like, Christ-centered marriage in front of everybody. It's desperately needed. And so don't look at the other person as the fixer-upper, look at yourself. See, today's sermon is really based upon this. Number one, if you're single, I want you to ask this, what should I be looking for in a spouse? All right. If you're married, you should be asking this. How should I respond and relate to my spouse in a biblical, Christ-centered way? Very simple, very easy questions. Why? Because marriage is not ultimate. Christ-likeness, holiness, that is ultimate. Marriage is just a symbol of our union with Christ. So my marriage is literally a response of worship to Christ and what Christ has done first and foremost. Do you get that picture? In the past, I've said this. Sex is an act of worship. Why? Because God created sex. But I want you to understand this. Your marriage, not just the sexual aspect of it, is a response of worship to God because God loved you so much that he gave you a helper. Why? Because you were not able to do it on your own. So he gave you a helpmate suitable for you to accomplish the very purpose and plan he had for you from the beginning. Marriage is not ultimate, and here's the sad fact. The average wedding, and I had to look this up. You can Google it if you want to. Blew me away. The average cost of a wedding is $26,645. Now, yeah, that's what I said. What? Did you mortgage the house? I mean, did you like go reverse mortgage on it? I mean, I don't know. But if the average cost of a wedding is $26,640, what we're saying is, is that a wedding ceremony is ultimate. And what I want you to understand is this. While the wedding ceremony is vitally important to be carried out because it carries the idea of this covenant relationship never to be broken, a lot of times we prep and we spend more time and more money and more investment on a ceremony than we ever do investing in the relationship in the first place. And while marriage is not ultimate, Christ-likeness is. Our marriages reflect Christ-like things. And so what we have to begin to do is understand this. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this main point. My spouse is not my fixer-upper project, but a person with flaws who Jesus died for just like me. My spouse is not my fixer-upper project, but a person with flaws who Jesus died for just like me. Now, you may say, I'm not married. I'm not planning on getting married. I've I've already given up on that fact. Fine, great, grand, wonderful. If you're not going to get married, great. But let me uh, challenge you with this. In that reality, you are still going to run into people you're going to think that you got to fix, whether it's a coworker or somebody else. And that's not your responsibility to fix them. It's your responsibility to let God fix them. So remember that key point. And here's the question of the day. What is my responsibility in the relationship? What is my role? What is my responsibility? I'm going to start with the men first. And there's a reason why I start with the men first. Number one, men, you are the covenant initiator. When you get married, you are the one initiates the covenant. A covenant is never to be broken. Matter of fact, if you've been to any of the weddings I do, I always talk about this. In today's world, we've got this idea that marriage is a contract. In a contract, 
When we look at a contract, we can say, well, if for some reason I don't like the person or I begin to think that things have changed, what can I do? I'll break my contract. It happens all the time in sports. Somebody signs a contract, four years, six million dollars, all of a sudden they have a breakout year and they're like, hey, I'm better than my contract, you owe me more money. Break the contract, teams go to negotiate, they renegotiate, we get it, right? That's a contract. A covenant, which marriage is, in the biblical sense, is never to be broken. Every covenant within the Bible is a covenant that God makes with man. Marriage is a covenant between two human beings. Every covenant in the Bible is broken, not by God, but by who? And I want you to see this. Every marriage covenant has been broken by who? Man. People will oftentimes look and go, and when I say man, I mean humans, all right? People will oftentimes go, well, if God wanted me to stay married to this person, they wouldn't have made him this way. Oh, my bad. <laughs> You're so perfect. You know, right? You know, we always love to look at the flaws of everybody else, but we don't look at the flaws of ourselves. So I'm going to start with the man. And listen, listen to this. I'm going to start with the man. I'm going to read Proverbs 31, 23. But I want you to think about this. This is talking about the wife. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Man, your wife's pride is in the fact that you are a respected individual. Not just respected with people, but respected with her. And regardless if you're around the elders of the land, become some big wig politician or some big sports person, you are respected by your wife. And wives, I would hope you would respect your husband. But I also want you to understand this. It is your responsibility to take care of your wife. Men overvalue looks in marriage. We always do. Looks is a huge thing. And women overvalue emotions. So men, here is your responsibility. What is your responsibility? I've got four things for you. Number one, that you love submissively. All right? I'll jump back to, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission to one another is the root of a strong and healthy relationship, period. When you talk with your wife about big things, when you sit down and discuss those things, and you talk and you listen to the worries and the fears and the problems and the joys and the frustrations and all that, you learn to submit to your husband you, or your wife. You learn to love submissively. And there are going to be times that means that you lay aside, listen, your desires for the benefit of the family or benefit of the relationship. Now, if you feel like, as the husband, I believe this wholeheartedly, if you feel like the Lord is leading you in a direction, then that is your role to be obedient to God, and I believe that the wife will follow. I wholeheartedly believe that when it's done out of reverence for Christ, all right? But there are times, husbands, that we have to love submissively. In other words, we put aside maybe our wants for their needs. You get that picture? We lay aside our wants for their needs. Big difference, right? Because a lot of times we're like, well, I'm going to lay aside my want for their want. And sometimes that's good too. You lay aside their want for their want. All right? But you definitely do it for their needs. See, reverence, when we talk about reverence for Christ, is a feeling or attitude or gesture of deep respect. So I love submissively out of reverence for Christ in a feeling, attitude, or gesture of deep respect for my wife. 
Think about this. Jesus was submissive to the Father's will, right? He said, not my will, but yours. Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father, which benefits all of us because he carried out the will that God had planned from the beginning, which was that Jesus would die on the cross for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world, and that he would rise again. So he was submissive to the will of the Father. How you treat, how you speak, how you love your wife is a clear reflection of what's going on in your heart. So love submissively. Number two, love sacrificially. Listen, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, authority in a relationship is not equal to or synonymous with tyranny. And I've seen too many men who think they got to lord it over their wives and beat them down into submission when the true fact of the matter is this, that you love sacrificially. What does that mean? If I sacrifice for my wife, what does that mean? That means I give something up for what? Her benefit. I sacrifice. And what I would say is this, in multiple relationships in today's world, sacrifice is oftentimes null and void. Selfishness runs rampant. In every situation that I've ever dealt with, when a couple comes to me and says, we're getting a divorce, you know what it is? Selfishness. And I'm not going to say it's one person, because everyone has been both. And they always blame the other person. If you love sacrificially, you set yourself up for success. You love selfishly, you're going to set yourself up for failure. And it's not just in marriage. It's going to be in life. Because you're going to ask, how come people don't give? How come people don't help me out? How come people don't go the extra mile? You want to know why? Because when you're selfish, people begin to see it. And it's displayed in everything you do. So love sacrificially. The husband, what else is your your job? What is your role? to lead spiritually. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. All right? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. You get that? My job as a husband is to be the head of the home and to lead my home and my marriage spiritually. The depth of your marriage spiritually will only go as far as the husband is willing to take it. Period. It will never go any farther And wives, as much as you desire, if your husband is not a spiritual man, as much as you desire to have them lead spiritually, they will never step up until they become people who follow Jesus on a daily basis. If there's somebody who only chases after God on Sunday morning in church, and then they walk out, they will never lead spiritually until they finally come to a relationship and understanding that God has gifted them and equipped them to lead out spiritually. It is the husband's role. The reason families struggle is because of the lack of a strong husband in the home, period. Now, I'm not saying you can't have problems. I know lots of great dads who had children who went off the deep end. But at some point, according to the book of Proverbs, train a child in the way it will go and they will not depart. At some point, they will come back. Look, we've all made flaws. We all have problems. But I want to challenge you. Do you lead spiritually? Do you pray with your kids before they go to school? Do you pray with your kids before 
They go to bed. Do you pray with them? Do they see you as a person of prayer? Do they see you as a person who leads them spiritually? Are your priorities more focused on outward things, worldly things, or do you show them the desire that they should have for Christ on a daily basis? You have to lead spiritually. You're not, listen, your wife should not have to step up and fill the role you're not willing to fill yourself. So I lead spiritually. That's my goal, that's my role, that's my job. Every good marriage and every good family takes work. It takes investment. You plant a garden and you don't ever water it, you don't ever fertilize it, you don't ever take out the weeds, what happens? Huh? It dies, it might not even grow, right? You don't water it, the seeds aren't gonna grow. No rain comes, not gonna happen, that's called a drought. And too many marriages are going through a drought because we don't lead spiritually. I have to lead spiritually. Number four, and I'm going to let you off here with this last one, but I'm going to wrap it up on this, men. You have to cherish your wife. Listen again, all right? 28 and 29, and I'm going to even jump up into verse 7, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. When I lead my family spiritually, I then lead my relationship to where my wife knows you don't have to look like the world says you should look you don't have to act like the world says you should act you are mine you are holy you are righteous you are redeemed by the blood of jesus and guess what as i lead spiritually our relationship will grow to a greater length that's why you have people who are married 20 and 30 years who will say i love this person now more than i did when we got married why Because they've led. They've led spiritually. They cherish their wife. And I stand by this wholeheartedly. I'm guilty of it in the past of saying things, but I want you to understand this, that when you talk negative about your wife in front of other people, even if your wife's not around, do you realize what you're doing to yourself in your mind? You are degrading and cutting down your wife when you talk to another man even about your wife. And I see it all the time. Come out to my softball fields. I, I use that a lot. Come out to the softball fields where I play softball and listen to the guys talk about their wives and listen to the guys talk about their girls, the girls that are walking by. When you degrade your wife in your mind, you don't cherish her in your heart. You have to learn to cherish your wife, to present her to yourself as a radiant church without blemish or stain or wrinkle. Why? Because Jesus died for her sins just like he died for yours. And then he says, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Every time you make a negative comment about your wife, you know what you're saying? You're just cutting yourself down. Not too many people like to make fun of themselves in the true sense or fashion. Sometimes we all like to poke a little fun and have a little humor, but when you start to do that, you start to cut yourself down. You're starting to do that, so you have to cherish your wife. Praise her in front of people. Speak well of her in front of others. Let them know how much you care for her and, and are passionate about her. Add some spice to your life by just encouraging her and loving her. Make it a habit to use words of encouragement and affirmation, to leave notes of encouragement. My wife and I, we don't do this a lot. We used to do it a lot more, but we used to, she would take a, an Expo marker and she would write on my mirror every morning. Not every morning, like once a week. But she would write something, just a simple message. And I would challenge you husbands to do the same thing. 
Maybe it's sticky notes. She's done that in the past. I'm not very good. I'm not, this is my problem. This, you know, all right? So I'm not, I don't think about things like that, but she'll do sticky notes and put sticky notes in places. Make sure your wife knows that you love her and care for her. Your wife should not have to compete with anything else. She should be cherished by you. All right? So women or men, you're off the hook to a certain extent. But I want you to listen. Women, I think this is something to see. A picture of a redeemed woman's love. Somebody who has a relationship with Christ should understand this. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And then Proverbs 31, a wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value, and she brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So what's a, what's a woman to do? What's the role she's supposed to play? I believe number one is this, to honor Christ by submitting to your husband. Remember we talked about it earlier, first and foremost, it says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want you to understand this. This is the false picture, the false premise is that submission is a sign of what? Weakness. Everybody submits to something. Am I not correct? Everybody has an authority they submit to. Everybody. Even the President of the United States now has people they have to submit to. They step outside the bounds of the Constitution, you're cut off. We have checks and balances in place for that. We have police officers who have authority that they submit to. We have mayors who have authority that they submit to. Who do they submit to? Elect, the, election, the people that do, do the election, us. Everybody has the authority. Everybody submits to something. But listen, women, it says literally this, wives, submit to your husbands. But listen, as to the Lord... As your husband leads spiritually, submit to his spiritual leadership so that the two of you are closer, united together, on one purpose, with one goal, with one priority. And as you do that, God blesses that marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the church. See, those in authority have different roles with greater responsibility, but they're not better roles. Matter of fact, they're different roles, but equal dignity. So submission is not this idea that you are subservient or you are less dignified. It's, equal, it's separate roles, but equal dignity. And we think about that, and we keep that in mind, and that I submit, that I honor Christ by submitting to my husband. And I don't believe that this is this, because I've heard people say this before. I don't think this is urging every woman to submit to every man. Because there are men who are more or less, in certain times, more or less just abusive, whether it's through words or actions. And I don't believe wholeheartedly that that, is, that means that you submit in every circumstance and situation to every man. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Does that, does that make sense? And men, if you expect every woman to submit to you, you might get a bloody nose. I don't know. So, all right, all right. Submission can only be given voluntarily. Never by dominance. Never by pressure. Never by breaking of a human's will. Submission is given voluntarily. Number two, women, ladies, honor your husband with love. I know men sometimes come across as being strong and 
independent, but you know what a husband desires more than anything? Respect and love. To know that his wife loves him no matter what. That his wife is lovingly serving him, submitting to him, lovingly caring for him, sacrificing at times as well. And husbands, when you sacrifice for your wife, I guarantee you she will love you more. If you're selfish, (laughs) I hope she still loves you. But there may be some issues. (laughs) Ladies, honor your husband with love. See, love cannot be built solely on emotional level or on romantic feelings. And we all know how women respond to emotions and romantic feelings. You know, Sarah and I, we've joked about this. I heard it said a long time ago. Women, everything is, is connected. Everything. I have no clue why. I don't, I, we don't understand it. Men don't understand it. We, we like, uh, you know, you read the box. Men are like spaghetti. Women are like waffles, things like this. Men are compartmentalized. That's why men got their sports section. Men got their work section. Men got their friends section. Men got their wife section. They got their family section. And then their nothing section. That's why when you look at your husband, you go, what you thinking? He says, nothing. He's literally not thinking of anything. But you had a wife, if you go, hey, what are you thinking about? She said, nothing. You're like, yeah, whatever. Because <laughs> everything's connected. All right? Everything's connected. Every bit of it. That's why when you say something stupid, like I told you what I said last week, that's why when you say something stupid, don't expect to get a lot of love in the house. Because everything is connected. When there's a problem with the kids, that affects your sex life. Everything is connected. Everything. And husbands are going, what? How is that possible? Because you seriously compartmentalize everything, right? It's like, it's wife time. Forget everything else. And your wife's like, how can I forget everything else? You know how much stuff I got to deal with? Yeah, just put it out of your mind. Ladies, do you ever put it out of your mind? No. Never. It never happens. Cherish your husband. Love your husband because it can't be built on emotions. Emotions eventually fail. When the going gets tough, when you suffer from furniture disease and your chest drops into your drawers, when he doesn't look like he used to, six-pack and all, Emotions fail. Love doesn't. Honor with love because love is unconditional. A biblical love is unconditional. It's not based upon the conditions of life, how they look, what they do. It's based upon love. An agape love, an unconditional love. And number three, ladies, you honor with love, but I also say honor with respect and admiration. One of the greatest things that husbands always say is that when my wife respects me and admires me and builds me up, That's the greatest encouragement for a husband. When a wife brags on a husband, that's the greatest thing. When my wife brags on me, it's like a shot of adrenaline. Kind of get, you know, your your furniture disease kind of straightens itself out. Bow your chest out. My wife's talking about me. This is great. She loves me. Love with respect and admiration. Just as it's the, the husband's job not to talk bad about his wife, but to build him up and encourage him, 
Love your husband with respect. See, admiration literally means to attach high value to something else. When you admire somebody, you talk about that. You build them up. You encourage. You brag on them. You, you, you talk about all the great things that they offer. And so, ladies, as you deal with that relationship thing, even when your husband, listen, even when your husband does things that's unloving and uncaring, when you admire him and respect him, it will go farther. Your love will be felt in a greater way. And I know there's a lot of issues, there's a lot of weight, there's a lot of baggage, especially when husbands do things that we're not particularly fond of, but people are attracted to those who admire and respect them. And one of men's most deepest, most important needs is to have that admiration from their wife. That's why men can oftentimes be misled into a relationship that they shouldn't even be in in the first place just because the girl is always what do we call smitten with him, whatever you want to call it. That's like an old school date. I'm like, what's smitten? What the? My son's sitting there going, what the smitten? What's that? You know. <laughs> you will know when you get there. But do you understand that big picture? Gentlemen, just because a woman admires you and respects you does not mean you hop into bed with her. Because there are a lot of ladies out there who admire and respect other men that are trying to break up a marriage. Don't let respect and admiration be the downfall for your marriage. But ladies, admire and respect your husband. Don't talk negatively. And I I stand by this wholeheartedly. One of the biggest things to me in almost every relationship I have is the amount of negative, or every relationship, not I have, sorry, that I have dealt with or walked through. Um, That just sounded really bad. Um, is the fact that we become so selfish that we always look at the other problem. The other person is the fixer-upper. They, if they would just get their life squared away, if they would just do this, if they would just do that, and we don't focus on our own problems, our own flaws, our own faults. And so as we do this, I want to ask you this. As you go home, as you talk about marriage, maybe you thinking about marriage down the road, I don't know, is that you don't, You don't settle, you don't sacrifice, you don't give up what God intended to be a great partnership that reflects the gospel. That you don't settle for second best by settling for somebody you think might be okay but is not the best. Because being a youth pastor for 12 years and dealing with teenagers, I saw so many girls and so many guys settle because in their mind they thought, I can never find anybody better. So I'll sacrifice on things. He doesn't have to be as a great spiritual leader. He doesn't have to be somebody who's always going to love and respect me. And if you set that standard now, remember what I said, once marriage happens, small problems become huge problems. Little things become big things. And what I want to see, and what I think every pastor wants to see, what everybody, I think everybody, nobody enters marriage going, man, I can't wait for this sucker to fail. She's going to take me for all my money. We're going to split the kids down the middle. Maybe we'll use a sword, cut them in half. I don't think anybody manages or, or thinks about going into a marriage with that mentality. When you settle, you do. When you settle for second bests, you're not waiting on God's best.
So maybe where you're at today, maybe your marriage just needs some revitalization, some new hope. Maybe you need to look at yourself deep down inside and say, am I a husband who's loving my wife, who is submitting, who's serving, who's sacrificing? Do I love her with an unconditional love? And maybe likewise, ladies, you need to learn to love your husband unconditionally, to honor him with love, to honor him with respect and admiration, and to submit to him. Not in a degrading way, but in a Christ-honoring out of reverence for Christ. Because why? Our marriages and our relationships should be for the reverence of Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father, you know all things, and you know the stand, uh, the situation, the struggles that each relationship may be in. God, we also know that you have somebody set aside, and sometimes maybe we rush to put pressure on an individual. Maybe we rush thinking that we're never going to find somebody else. But God, we know that our relationships should reflect Christ and Christ first and foremost. That everything we do, we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Father, I pray that God, you would just be rehabbing, that you would fix up our relationships. That as we are walking through the process, we would look inwardly to evaluate, do I love my wife with respect and admiration? Am I willing to sacrifice? Do I submit to her out of reverence for Christ? Do I, do I lay myself down, my wants and desires to help meet her needs? And then likewise, God, would, that, that the wives would submit to their husband because they lead spiritually that they would love him, they would honor him with love and respect and admiration, that most of all, God, you would be honored and glorified in those relationships. Maybe today where you're at, maybe you'd say, I've never put my faith and trust in Christ. I just want to simply say that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so maybe where you're at, maybe you need to deal with that. In order to have God fix up your relationships, it starts with a relationship with Christ first. But maybe you just are somebody, maybe it's a couple here, maybe it's somebody who's in need of prayer. Uh, As we play this song, I'm going to have everybody stand and sing here in just a second. But as we play, if you need need somebody to pray with you, I'm up here at the front. We're just going to simply offer you that time of prayer. Father, would you move? as we wrap up this service today, that your spirit would convict us and that we would desire to have more and more a better relationship with you and with our spouse. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.